Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Randy Knapp. Uh, I am a recent uh, member to the board of American Council for the Blind Diabetes in Action. And we're here today to talk about a subject that affects all of us who deal with diabetes, and that is nutrition. Um, the name of the talk is Nutrition 101, and we hope that by the end of the day, we're all a little smarter about how to manage what we eat, how we can eat effectively, even in situations that are uh, challenging. And we have a couple of panels uh, guests here today, Marjorie DeBrine, who is um, an expert in the area of nutrition and diabetes education, and who will be able to speak to these topics. We also have Jeff Bishop, who has been a diabetic for 20 years, and he'll talk to you a little bit about some of the struggles that he's had uh, regarding um, managing um, his diabetes. Now, you may get some of your questions answered through the course of today's presentation, but if you don't, um, what you can do is contact us at the following email address, American Council of the Blind, and, I'm and that's going to be written like this, acbdaorg at gmail.com. I'll say that again, acbdaorg at gmail.com. At this point, I'd like to turn the floor over to you, Marjorie, and let you begin the proceedings, and uh, we'll settle back and enjoy the ride. Thank you, Randy. That was a lovely introduction. Um, I'm so happy to be here this, this afternoon. I am, I've had 20 years plus of educating um, a variety of uh, people with healthy eating, whether it's with um, low-fat, low-carb, calorie counting, gluten-free, vegetarian, vegan, um, disordered eating, keto, intermittent fasting, it's all, it's all there, chronic kidney disease or diabetes. There's been a variety of um, education needs and opportunities. So I definitely want to um, explore this with you all. One thing, I am not living with diabetes, nor am I living with blindness. So it's valuable to have Jeff with us today as well, so he can speak to his experience as this. Um, with this. I love the idea that it's diabetes in action. So that gives us something to work with. We need to be taking an active participation in how this works. Um, so the original topic for this was discuss challenges to healthy eating, sick days, holidays, traveling and dining out, tips for healthy grocery shopping and meal planning. And that's quite a mouthful, certainly a lot more than um, a a lot to bite off in a, in a short period of time and actually get to discussion. So um, I hope that we will be able to all share our personal experiences and what we've done to um, impact our health regarding nutrition. Um, Jeff, what do you, what would you like to contribute to that? Yeah, thank you. Um, this has been really, really great. And as someone who, who has had to deal with, uh, you know, living with diabetes for a really, really long time, I've, I've had to really look at, um, you know, 
ways of controlling my diabetes in a way that that allows me to be safe and uh, and I'm a pretty picky eater. I that that's uh it drives my wife nuts. My wife is someone who loves vegetables, loves green things, loves salad. She'll eat anything that comes from a garden. And um I, you know, uh we've been married over 30 years and and I'm just beginning to really like uh and and it's slowly but surely uh green things. Um so it's been a little bit of a a little bit of a challenge. Um you know, to, to overcome that. And, uh, but today we're here to talk about, you know, how we're going to look at things from, a the standpoint of the things that we do every day, whether we're eating at home or we're going out or we're going shopping, uh, and buying our foods. And then I want to talk a little bit later, a little bit about other tools and techniques that you could look at for controlling your diabetes from the standpoint of, um, other medical tools that that may be available to you, um, other than nutrition, that you might want to take advantage of to help controlling things like hunger or or uh, appetite, uh, those types of things, and even other um, forms of uh, medical procedures. And then Randy, Randy's here, and and Randy, um, uh, I don't know if you want to speak a couple of minutes on 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 your story. But Randy has a pretty unique situation that I think would be worthy to talk about, about how he manages his diabetes in reference to nutrition and how he has to be even you know, more careful because of uh, the situation he's under. Randy? Okay. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, I um, am a pump user. I use insulin on a daily basis, and I use pump to manage the amount of insulin that I take each day, both in terms of per meal insulin and also uh, in terms of the kind of insulin that I take every hour just to keep um, my sugars in a good place. And to manage a lot of that activity, I'm a new user to uh, a sensor which is called a Dexcom G6 sensor. And the really nice thing about this is that for me to get the readings that I need, I don't have to um, poke my finger with a lancet. I can simply um, request from my phone my glucose reading, and I will hear that glucose reading in my hearing aid so no one else is aware of it. And and I can at any point in time uh, monitor that reading so that if I I'm in a situation where suddenly I'm going low and it, and I think I'm going low, but I'm not entirely sure. I can check that information. And then once it's confirmed or not confirmed, take the appropriate um, action. But managing food, managing insulin, managing stress. And recently I'm moving. So that's up to the ante in all those areas has given me some challenges to, to deal with in that regard. So um, we can talk a little bit uh, as this thing uh, matriculates along about how to um, how I go about trying to do this. But one of the things that I do now on a regular basis is is consult with um, with the ACBDA members because all of us have had experiences. All of us have had ways to deal with things. And uh, we all learn from each other every day. And that's one of the real strengths of this group. So, Marjorie, I'm going to turn this back to you. 
Oh, Randy, I, I love that. Thank you, Jeff and Randy. Um, what we're seeing is that we all have our personal stories. We all have our unique journeys, our weight experiences, and that have that have guided us to manage, Jeff or Randy, what you said, uh, manage our food, manage our, manage our physical activity, manage our stress level, because all of those certainly can impact our blood glucose readings, and as well as our, um, uh, as our food choices. I know when I'm stressed, I eat differently. I know when I'm sick, I eat differently. So all these things and it's, it's not something that you can put on a shelf and say, I'll get to that tomorrow. It's we eat every day, and we've been eating every day for all of our lives. So that takes constant renewal, constant um, attention. Um, and then we also have, outside of our own unique um, stories, we also have our own unique genetic makeups or our own health history. And for me, I grew up much heavier and I was able to manage my weight in a way I, I made a lot of missteps for sure along the way. I missed the mark often, but I have uh, been able to achieve a healthy body weight that allows me so far to achieve my health goals. So I have my health history and I've, I, which I, um, received from my parents. So I can't avoid that. I have that health history. I need to manage it the best I can for myself. And we each have our own health history. So defining for each of us, what is our own health? What are our own health goals? What are our own definitions of health? um, Can get us to a place that allows us to avoid those health complications. Um, what I have discovered is one size doesn't fit all. In fact, one size fits no one. I can't, I can't give everybody in the room the same guidelines for carbohydrates or calories or fats because we all have those different unique parameters. But what we can do is work together to design that healthier you. What would you look like in the future, in better health. Um, When they say that um, um, uh, that person-centered care allows us to make our own unique definition of health, our own unique design for what is a healthier you, and then we see it when we, we believe it when we see it. So actually, Picturing yourself as a healthier you in the future. What would that look like? What would that person be eating? Would that person be eating beets? Would that person be eating peas? Would that person be being physically active, doing something that they enjoyed? What would that person look like? Um, And believe me, when I can say of everyone I met, we're all working on something. I remember that peer to peer learning that I think Randy talked about sharing within your group, that diabetes in action group. And I also share with my coworkers. As a dietitian, we do have certain biases. 
Um, I know early on I've had um, clients say, well, you're a healthy body weight, or they've even said the word thin. What do you know about healthy eating? Obviously, you've never had a problem with eating. And then I've also had colleagues say that clients say to them, well, if you're overweight, what you can, if it hasn't worked for you, how can you possibly think it's going to work for me? So there's, there's all sorts of dialogues going on inside of us about what we can achieve, what we want to, um, what we want to accomplish for our own selves, and finding that team, those, those peers, those healthcare providers that can support you in whatever that design looks like for you, I think is very helpful. Jeff, would you have anything you'd like to add for that? No, I don't think so. I I think that that what's interesting here is, is that, you know, when, when I was going through my journey, I really had to learn to live life in a, in a different way because it wasn't good enough to, um, just be told, here's the lifestyle that you're going to have to, to, to change. I had to really decide that this is what I was going to do before I made some pretty major transformational change in my life medically. And so I did that for about three months before I did, you know, did, uh, some things that we'll talk about a little bit later. And I, and I found that that helped me be successful because this is not just a, a, choice of you know you being told what's the right thing to eat and you know being told you know you got to make sure you you eat to eat your vegetables it's it's really a lifestyle change and a mindset and if you can if you can deal with food that way then you're going to go a lot further in your diabetes journey your diabetes journey um than just being talked to about what foods to eat or not eat because that's not enough. It truly needs to become a lifestyle change and difference and a mindset that you need to put yourself into. I, I really like that, Jeff. Absolutely. It's, we've come a long way. I hope we've come a long way that of um, just here's a list of foods to eat. Here's a list of foods to not eat. It's, if it were that simple, it'd be a lot different, wouldn't it? But it's, it's not simple. It takes that no. daily intention that I'm going to make a better choice today at this meal with one mouthful at a time. And it's not always, um, it's not always a linear graph, right? There's ups and downs, um, and there's, uh, there needs to be support in all aspects of our wellness, not just our food choices, but our physical activity and certainly our stress level. Um, This is, I think is a perfect time to just kind of regroup ourselves, refocus our vision on where we want to be and reshape our objectives. And, And don't forget, often we're not living alone in a silo. We have families, we have friends, we have Work commitments and travel, all those things greatly impact food choices, physical activity, mindset, like you also referred to, Jeff. So when I think about um, 
grocery shopping even, um, I think about three things. Certainly the cost to our grocery shopping, convenience for our grocery shopping, and compromises to our grocery shopping. Um, Certainly the public health emergency provided a shift for all of us to rethink our grocery shopping. When I think of cost, I think of not only the financial cost, how much am I spending on my groceries, but also the cost of time. Um, How much time do I have to grocery shop? Um, We know that making a list and meal planning can help with um, grocery shopping. Um, Certainly when I was trying to help my parents navigate the grocery store and getting food delivery, I suggested that they um, start small with a few list of items when they were going for food delivery. Start small. Go with a those common brands or those, or those um, store brands or even generic items that get provided little room for air. Um, you didn't, I didn't want them to select those unique foods that might be difficult to find or specialty brands or specialty items. Um, there's also an opportunity when you're grocery shopping to figure out where's the best place to grow, grocery shop. Is it a big box store that has large selection of items? You could find everything you need. Or is it a small local community co-op or a farmer's market where you might get to know the staff and they get to know your preferences. Um, Sometimes a smaller store, you can become more familiar with the layout, um, and it's very consistent, versus a big box store where they might be changing their aisles frequently, moving items around, um, making it more difficult to find things. Um, Sometimes a smaller selection is better, fewer choices, allows you to narrow in and find out what you like versus um, having a selection of 20 options for ketchup versus three options for ketchup. And there have been studies that that have demonstrated the fewer choices you have, the easier it is to make a, a decision. So where are you going for your grocery shopping? Are you looking for only food? Are you going there to also get paper products, hair care, even car, car supplies? So, Finding um, the the cost financially and the cost of time that are best for you, the conveniences that are best for you with um, different options for grocery shopping, and then also compromising. What are you willing to compromise? Certainly, um, we always want to enjoy our food. So taste is important. Um, Then when you think about frozen, canned, or fresh, are you able to make compromises with that? Where can you get the most consistent quality of the things that matter to you the most? Um, I'm willing to go with fresh tomatoes in Indiana in the summer, but for consistency, I would like canned tomatoes in the winter where I I can't get a fresh tomato unless it's shipped in from, you know, somewhere else. So what other compromises, Jeff, do you want to talk about that perhaps you have made in 
cost, convenience, or compromise when you've been grocery shopping. Jeff, is there anything you would like to add to your grocery shopping challenges? No, I, I don't think I don't I don't think so. I think that the, the the big issue here for shopping has to do really with the services that we have available to us, and sometimes the reliability or lack of reliability of those services. Um, a lot of times, blind people who are going out and shopping, um, whether that's using Shift or using um, someone in a grocery store as a volunteer to help them. Uh, sometimes it's a, it's, it's rather difficult to really get the exact products or exact things that you want. So you just need to make sure that you're really being your strongest advocate here, um, to, to do that. And that's my best advice here. Um, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with, uh, uh, your medical team and your medical, um, plan, um, you, you know, you want to definitely have someone that that's working with you on nutrition uh, as part of your medical team, uh, and, and stick to your plan. And that means really being rigid about, um, about making sure you get the things that, that you're wanting to get. Sometimes that can be a bit challenging, but, uh, that would be my, that would be my best advice. I think yes. it's also, I think it's also, um, important to note though, that, that, um, while it's important to stick to a plan, it's also important to live life too. That we know that we're all not perfect human beings and we're going to potentially eat things we shouldn't or, or, um, eat more of something that we shouldn't, you know, and, uh, and that's okay. It's just about learning how to, how to manage that. Jeff, can you speak a little bit more about the reliability or the lack of reliability? Have you found uh, differences when you go to a larger store versus a smaller community market or what have you, where have you gotten the best reliability regarding your shop grocery shopping? Well, this is a, this is a challenging one. And I don't even necessarily think it's more about nutrition in this case. It's more about communication and, and making sure that when you're going in and, and working with someone that, that the two of you are able to communicate effectively because you may tell them that you want X brand uh, of food or, or uh, a specific uh, item that you're looking for um, that might be, you know, a brand that's lower in calorie or, or whatever that, that meets whatever uh, things that you need. Right. Well, you know, a lot of times they're not going to find that for you. And they may just pick the thing that, that uh, they think matches your choice that's close and that could be totally wrong and And that um, could be totally wrong yes and it could be totally totally wrong and the problem there is is that it and we'll talk about this that as you as you learn how your body um reacts to certain foods it could be that you could eat one type of and, and trust me i've had this happen you could eat one type of food and it could be in the same class like a potato and depending upon where you get that specific brand, your body could react totally differently to, you know, uh, the same the same type of food from a different vendor. Um, I, I think of this even like French fries, for example. You know, 
Uh, I have been known to be able to, I don't anymore, but back in the day, because uh, <laughs> I, I don't really eat starchy things anymore. But when I did, I could, I found that I could eat certain types of, of um, French fries, but I couldn't eat others because they would make my blood sugar go through the roof. And so again, this is why it's so critically important that you are your strongest advocate and, and, um, and making sure that you are getting the things that you intend to get and be firm about that, especially if they're critically important to managing, you know, your diabetes and managing your health. Um, and again, this is, while it is important around nutrition, it's really around communication. And that's why it's so critically important that, that you really are your strongest advocate for yourself. And that's hard sometimes. That can be hard for some of us. It can be, it can be hard for all of us. Yeah. Yep. And it's in some areas, it might be easier than other areas, but being an advocate for ourselves is, um, is a challenge. It can be. So you bring up some points there, Jeff. It's about every vendor, every manufacturer can add something a little bit different. A French fry mm-hmm. isn't a French fry isn't a French fry. Some nope. may add more salt. Some may add more sugar. Some may add more um, additives. Yep. So when, um, if you have an opportunity to work with a registered dietitian that might take you on a grocery shopping tour, and that is done, and it's very effective, and you can go aisle by aisle looking at when you're in the bread aisle, what is it the most what it, are, what's the most important thing that you're looking for in the bread aisle? When you're in the uh, canned food aisle, what is it that you're looking for? The canned vegetable aisle. And you wouldn't want to do this all in one swoop, but maybe set a, a timeline that um, when this week, when I go to the grocery store, I'm going to spend the majority of my time in the bread aisle. Because there again, when we talked about choices, there's just not one only five choices of bread. There are, um, what, 30 to 35 choices of bread. <laughs> so looking at the labels, maybe find, um, having the dietitian work with you on reading the food labels, what, what's the fiber content? What are the additives to the, these breads? What is the carbohydrate content? And, and select two or three, you know, your your first choice, a second choice, and a third choice, so that you know. Then the next time you go to the grocery store, spend extra time in the cereal aisle. Which is the best cereal? What are the nutrients that you're looking for when you're looking for when you're looking at cereals or breakfast items? So that might help too. And it doesn't happen in one grocery shopping, one grocery shopping trip because you will just throw up your hands and say, and give up. It's, it's too overwhelming. So it's taking those small uh, stops at the grocery store, spending time understanding the layout of the grocery store, where the, uh, the foods are and the brands that you like. And you're right there again, Jeff, also sometimes the vendors stop providing, stop, um, stop manufacturing this choice you know, I'll go, I always found this cereal. It was right here and it's not there anymore. Well, they stopped sending it. They stopped manufacturing it because it was a low, low cost item or, you know, not a high yeah. sales. So, you, you, you know, the other thing that's really important here too is, is looking at 
how your body reacts to certain foods. Like, you know, a dietitian can tell you, okay, in general, here are the principles that you want to live your life by. Here's the things that generally work for 90% of people. But there's always that 10%, right? Where our bodies are all different and our systems react differently to different food groups and different types of things. And this is why, you know, testing your blood sugar, learning whether that's through a, a continuous glucose monitor, such as the Dexcom, like Randy uses, or like the Freestyle Libre, which many people are using now, whatever that choice is, or you're just using a, a glucometer. My, my biggest piece of advice, and I think the number one thing that I personally would recommend you take away from this, and there's lots that you'll take away from this, this discussion today, but I think the biggest thing that you're going to learn from me today is test, 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 and learn about yourself. Because if you do that, you're going to know, you know what? I probably could have, you know, three French fries, or I might be able to have two tablespoons of, you know, this, or I probably should stay away completely from this because this raises my blood sugar to 280 or 250. And that's probably not healthy for me. And, and you're going to learn that some foods you can eat just fine. Other foods, not so much. And you're going to learn that some of them you're going to be shocked by that, that, you know, your friend Randy or Joe, he can't eat this because this makes his blood sugar go through the roof, but you can. And then vice versa, you're going to be able to find out that, you know, you eat something that makes your body react differently. So this is where it's all about learning about yourself and as much personalization that we can talk about here and about, about science and about what, what are the norms and, and card counting and, you know, glycemic index and, and how much sugar to use or, or sugar substitutes and all, all of these things. Because by the way, not all sugar substitutes, I don't know if you're going to cover this, but not all sugar substitutes are equal either. Huh, no pun intended there, by the way. Uh, not, <laughs> I got that, Jeff. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good. I didn't mean to do that, actually. But no, they're, they're not all equal. Um, and, and, and in fact, in some situations, they, some of these uh, sugar substitutes are even worse. Um, not necessarily from uh, uh, a blood sugar perspective, but they have major other side effects, which we probably won't want to go into, but um, at least they do for me. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's, that's probably my big takeaway from, from this is test, 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 and learn about yourself. That's probably the key thing that, I, that I've learned over the last 20 years. That's, that's been my biggest takeaway about food. Oh, I, I really, really love that and appreciate that, Jeff, because testing, we are all science experiments. What, what um, We could eat the same foods, we could have the same meal, but our bodies are going to respond differently. So you're absolutely right. And you are only going to know how your body responds if you, if you keep a food diary, perhaps. What did you eat and what were my blood sugars after I ate that? How did I feel after I ate that? Am I willing to eat again? Did I exercise after I ate that? You know, all these factors. Was I stressed? So um, absolutely, you can't go wrong with testing and um, trying different things, being experiment on, on yourself. Margie, may I make a brief comment? Absolutely. This is Larry. I'm streaming, but I've been a type 2 diabetic since 2002. I found out on my honeymoon. Um, and that was a different story, which we'll get into maybe tomorrow. But 
I, I do all the stuff that, in fact, when I first got to the Libre, I don't have it anymore because insurance has stopped that, but we are continuing to fight. But when I was, when I had it, when I was working before I retired, I tested all the time, not because I had to, but because I wanted to see what different foods did to my body and they do different things to my body than they might do to yours. And when I went grocery shopping, I write, I wrote down everything. I have lists going back to 2003 of the foods I got, and I don't allow anybody to put anything in a food basket until I touch it to see what it is, to make sure it's what I think it is, so that I'm not surprised. And I ask questions. I, if it's a loaf of bread that I buy, I, I said, how many grams, of, grams are in that? Now, if they say six or eight or ten, I'll say, I know there's some here that are like three. Um, I begin to know the answers to questions before I ask them, and I'm and I can't be as I can't be as as spontaneous as I want to be with all the shopping that I do. But I know which foods work best for me, and I go after those foods first. And if and if they're not available, then I have to ask other questions. And by now, I know what questions to ask before I buy something. Larry, that's very helpful. Do you know? Have you had different experiences? At different grocery stores as well. Whether are you going to the same grocery store? Well, it's it's the same grocery store because it's fairly close to where I live. I could take Uber somewhere else, but it would take maybe ten miles to get there. But a lot of it has to do with the grocery clerk because they don't know. They they're just guessing sometimes. And if I don't have the right kind of comments to give to them to say, no, I'm looking for this, and they'll put something in my hands sometimes, and I'll say, no, no, that's not it. I know what it feels like, and I know, I think, what this, and I'll ask other questions. And most times they'll say, oh, yeah, here it is. I see it. I didn't see it before. So you got to help them because they don't know. You know, they don't. Excellent. So so that speaks to being an advocate for for yourself. Right, right. Good, good. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's getting to know the clerk, getting to know the layout, getting to know those items that you like. And you spe- um, certainly personal preference goes a long way, too. I know that um, the person I live with likes butter on butter on butter on their slice of bread, but eats a salad without any salad dressing. And I'm the opposite way. I can have a good slice of bread without any butter on it, but on my salad, I like a drizzle of salad dressing. So it's compromising Knowing what your food preferences are, what you're willing to forego for your health, and then being an advocate for when you get to the grocery store to find those things that meet all that criteria on most days, right? Good, good, good. Would anyone else like to add to the um, to any tips or tricks regarding gro- grocery shopping? We have about 10 minutes left, don't we, Lucy? So we may need to want to take some questions. Ooh. Oh, no, we don't. Uh, no, no, it's, no sorry. I keep thinking it's a 55-minute session. I did the same thing <laughs> yeah. again that somebody else did. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. We do have people raising your, their hands, just so you know, whenever you're ready. Okay. Let's, um, well, let's touch on holidays and special occasions. Um, briefly here. So I'm sure there'll be lots of input here. So certainly our holidays and our special occasions change the way we eat. They, they might involve um, traveling. Um, they might involve 
more physical activity or perhaps less physical activity if we are um, out of our out of our regular environment. Certainly, timing of meals may be different. Choices: We're not going to have our Thanksgiving turkey every day, right? So our choices are different. Our timing is different. Our portion sizes are different. Um, on and those could special occasions could be not only um, holidays. I'm thinking of Fourth of July and how. I ate differently on 4th of July, but I'm also thinking of um, birthday celebrations, um, certain like maybe football games or basketball games, sporting events that we go to. Um, What other special occasions you might have a faith-based special occasion that um, highlights certain foods or certain activities? How have you been able to navigate these times. Jeff, would you like to comment or Randy or Tom? I think holidays are tough. I think holidays are especially difficult. And and my best advice to everyone on this one is do your best. Um, I think we all have situations where special days you're going to, you probably are going to eat what you want to eat. You know, you go out for your birthday and you have a slice of cake uh, or, or, or that bowl of ice cream and, and you probably you know, should have, shouldn't have had it or you probably might have wanted to have a smaller bowl of ice cream or a smaller slice of cake. Uh, and that's just going to happen. And, and we just have to realize that that's, that's life. That's who we are as human beings. So if you're someone that is taking insulin, then you're going to want to account for that. If you're... Uh, if you're someone who is on medication or, or, or not even on medication, but, but is, is really maybe pre-diabetic or something of that nature, then what I tend to do is if I've eaten something that I, that I shouldn't have or eaten more that I, than I should have, then I try to be a little more active. I might, you know, do an extra mile walk or go, you know, walk around the block one, one more time or two more times uh, to, to burn a little more calories. Um, I find that 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 really helps. So, um, again, I think it's important to realize that we are human beings and that we're not perfect and we're not meant to be perfect here. Uh, and we're going to sometimes eat things that we shouldn't, but it's about managing what you do about it once you have done it and that you're not doing it on a consistent basis. I think that's the important thing. Uh, Jeff, I agree with you. One of the things that I had to learn over my journey into diabetes is that I had to accept the notion that I couldn't be always be perfect. Uh, I think for the first the six months, I mean, I had the gospel according to diabetes and I made perfect decisions until one day, all of a sudden I went, I'm tired of this. Can't have mm-hmm. anything I want. Can't have anything, this and that. Then I went and swam in the river of denial for about three months, eating whatever I wanted. and then somebody sat down with me, a good friend and said, do you have a death wish? And that sort of brought me to my senses. And I said, no. So I, one of the things that I've done is I work with a, with a uh, endocrinologist who clearly wants me to behave most of the time, but also is, 
is this person is a realist and, and says, every now and then have that slice of cake. Every now and then go ahead and have your dish of ice cream so you won't feel like you're cheated. But just don't do it a lot. Just do it occasionally. And I have found that for me, that works. And that, you know, and in, in the beginning, I thought, well, could I, if I, if I only, if I had a piece of cake, could I limit it to one? You know, like the Frito commercial about you only eating just one chip. Well, I got news for the commercial folks. You really can do that if you, if you put your mind to that. And that's kind of what I do. And the other way I, I deal with it, especially with holidays, is my sisters bring these outrageous desserts. And they are really good. But I don't usually have a dessert per se. I'll have one bite of each dessert just to check it out, just to see what they did. And then that's my dessert. So I don't eat too much. But I I don't feel like I was left out. And I can thank the preparers of these wonderful desserts for the things that they did along with everybody else. I think the biggest, uh, you know, thing that I always point back to of how I'm doing is my A1C. If you're not consistently getting your A1C done at least every three to six months, then that should be on your your bucket list of things to make sure it is scheduled and that you're going in and getting that lab work done. Most labs can get an A1C drawn. You go in in the morning, you can have your lab result that afternoon in generally. And uh, a lot of... Uh, these labs are now producing this stuff such, such that it will download directly to your iPhone and you can read it. In fact, iOS 15 is going to have a, a feature built into it where they're actually going to provide more human readable, you know, uh, very, very common uh, English readable lab reports so you really can understand exactly what they mean that's coming in ios 15 but you can even download your health records for most labs across the united states now not all of them but uh you should you should definitely check into that and that really is your your guiding light on on how you're doing you know i i've always and to this day i struggle with this uh you know checking since i can i can check every five minutes if i want uh, as to how my body reacts and i do on occasion and sometimes to my detriment because i'll freak out that my blood sugar jumps to 180 for about five minutes and then it drops back down to 110 20 minutes later you know which of course is a normal you know reaction to your we should all say we're well i am not a medical uh person so take my advice for whatever it's worth in reference to to uh whether it's safe or not but but you know it, it's um you know, use use medical science, your your lab results, your actual clinical A1C results to really determine exactly how you're managing your diabetes. So, you know, I looked at these numbers and went, oh my gosh, I bet you my A1C is going to be 6162. You know, people like Tom and Randy and everybody else on the Diabetes in Action conference call are like, you're nuts. Your last A1C was 5.1. You're not, you don't have a problem. Don't worry about it. You're overreacting. Chill out. Shut up you know and 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 they were right i got my a1c and it was 5.0 so you know this is why you you can't sweat the small stuff even jeff even myself i i tend to be an extreme worry wart and i need to i need to take my own advice jeff another uh, variable not perfect. another variable that endocrinologists are now starting to looking at is a variable called target range they yes, want to know right. in a general sense how many 
what percentage you're in compliance with the with the goals that the the, the, the endocrinologist and you agree to. And the higher that number, then the more compliant you are. And it, again, that with the A1C really helps to paint the picture of of how things are. Yeah, I, I don't know if anyone here wants to speak more definitively on, you know, what the current um, ranges are that 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 endocrinologists are recommending these days in reference to you know one to two hours after eating. I don't know if anyone's got any data on that because it changes all the time, but. Um, that would be an interesting thing to, to to call out if someone has that data represented here. Oh, Jeff, I want to speak to that. Um, I want to finish up on a little bit of what Randy was touching on and, and you were also touching on regarding um, restaurant eating. I always learned so much from my clients and they would say that when they went to a restaurant to eat, that of course they on most days, they would ask for that to-go box right when they arrived because they knew the portion sizes were going to be larger than they were used to eating. And this might also happen at holidays and special occasions too. Ask for that to-go box that I want to sample all these things, but I don't want to do it all now. I want to have some today and then save some for another day. Then after they left the restaurant, they would take a walk around the parking lot even before they got in their car, because they knew their food choices were different. They knew that their portion sizes were different. So they just made it a habit before we left, before we got in the car, after we left the restaurant, we just take a five minute walk in the parking lot and it became a habit to them. And then also certainly with holidays and special occasions, Randy, you mentioned those things. Can we be satisfied with one bite of those specialty foods versus one serving, and perhaps our serving is one bite now. So we, we can be more in tune with our body and how it reacts and what is satisfying to us. Um, yes, one sample of my sister's favorite desserts, one bite can be satisfying versus that overstuffed feeling may make me feel uncomfortable. And also if my blood sugar rises, I may also feel uncomfortable. When I go out to those special occasions, I avoid those common foods that um, like the breads and the bread and butters, because I could have that every day of the week, but I save those special occasions to eat those specialty foods that I don't get on a day-to-day basis. And then, Jeff, to speak to your a point about um, guidelines and um, that target, that time and range criteria that we're looking at, um, Randy, you mentioned that as well. Certainly your A1C is one number, and knowing your numbers is extremely valuable. But there also is the standards of medical care in diabetes. And this is put out as a supplement from the American Diabetes Association, every January. It's a living document. It's updated annually and then as needed. So if, if new research comes out in February, they will make this um, available. The Standards of Medical Care in Diabetes 2021, it came out in January and it's on the um, American Diabetes Association website. And that speaks to those numbers. What is the current um, 
medical recommendations and what are the current medical nutrition therapy guidelines that we want to um, start and as well as so treatments, nutrition, guidance regarding education, those types of things. Is that what you were perhaps looking for, Jeff? Yeah, I don't know if you have those numbers in front of you. It'd be, be interesting to review uh, some of that data for our audience. Um, I do not have it, but I might be able to find it. Um, well, while you're doing that, why don't I touch briefly, because that, that will give you a couple minutes to locate it, on a couple things that I wanted to bring up. And then um, uh, we probably have a bunch of hands, too, that, that we want to make sure we get to today, too. Right, Randy? Yeah. In fact, I think we're pretty close to that uh, time now. Yeah. Well, let me just make a couple of comments here about, we've talked a lot about food and controlling your diet and controlling things that, that, that you're putting in your mouth. But we, we know that, that um, that's not always necessarily the be all end all of the, you needing tools to be able to help you be more efficient in your appetite or or in in managing who you are as an individual right everybody is different for example i've been i would i was overweight um the majority of my life since about the age of 16 and um until about uh, until about a year ago i um uh, well officially i still am overweight I'm about i'm about about six pounds overweight officially and trust me, my doctor tells me this. <laughs> so it doesn't matter if you're 160 pounds overweight or you're six pounds overweight, you hear about it. But, um, you know, I, I took it upon myself to utilize some, some medical tools and, uh, to, to help me in my journey to be able to, to regain my health and my, in my, um, life. Uh, I'm actually now clinically, um, no longer a type two diabetic, according to my endocrinologist. Um, but once you're a diabetic, you're always a diabetic, right? That never really goes away. You just have to manage it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so for me, you know, uh, uh, I, I took a medical um, procedure to help me lose, you know, the substantial amount of weight that I, that I needed to, to do. Um, but it's in combination with also making significant lifestyle changes. Now, is that the answer for everyone? Absolutely not. And it should not be a, the first thing that you do. It shouldn't necessarily, and it's not the last either, because just getting a tool doesn't mean you're successful with it. It just means it's a tool. And so this is why using grounded principles, grounded principles, um, you know, with your, your, your uh, medical team and your dietitian uh, is so critically important because no matter what tools you use, whether appetite suppressants or uh, a gastric bypass or a sleeve or whatever the case may be, whatever choices that you're making in your life, what, whatever tools you're wanting to utilize, none of that matters unless you can control what you do with food. And this is why learning these principles and, and learning to live that lifestyle in, in, in changing your life, uh, you, you, that's how you're going to win, regardless of what other tools you use. So that's just wanted to make sure we mentioned that and talk to talk a little bit about that. So anyway, thanks. Good, good. Um, technology is important. The tools are valuable if we know how to use them and if they can become um, 
helpful to us and not a hindrance or a barrier to. Um, oh, that's to right. Absolutely. So I'm not seeing uh, okay. numbers, we, Jeff, related to what you're looking for, but. That's okay. We can pull them out of the dock later. Yeah, can I can share it on a future call. So time in range correlates with the risk of complications. So the more time you are in range, um, and I'm thinking that's looking at below target is less than 70 and above target is greater than 180. But I, I'm not mm-hmm. sure I'm reading that. Yeah, that sounds about right, actually. Yeah, so they've lowered that, actually. That's interesting. Because it used to be about over 200, but if I recall correctly, but. Yeah, interesting. So Randy, I was, I was going to suggest that looking at these standards of medical care and diabetes, so you can see this is for um, healthcare professionals, um, in, what is it, payers, um, clinicians, patients, researchers, payers, other interested individuals with the components of diabetes care, general treatment goals, and tools to evaluate the quality of care. It's not the end all. It's, it's, I think, Jeff, you mentioned before, it's kind of that 90% of the people are going to fit in this 90% of the time. But what can we do if this is a starting point? How can we fine-tune it to meet our needs, our individual needs and preferences and, and health goals based on Absolutely. Uh, I think if it's okay with the both of you, I would like to see whether or not we have some hands raised and and get the um, audience to participate with questions they may have. I think that's a great, great idea, Randy. Thank you. If it's okay for um, Jeff. Yeah, let's do it. All right. We do have some raised hands and I'm going to assume I shouldn't do this, but that everyone knows how to do that since we do have some. Karen, go ahead and. Speak. Hi, everybody. I'm so glad you guys are all doing this presentation. I'm really glad to be here. Um, I'd like to echo um, what, what all of you have said. Um, I was um, pre-diabetic for a very long time. And then this past year, I was um, diagnosed with diabetes. And for me, it was a, a rude awakening that I really had to do something major um, and, and change my life because, you know, it really it did scare me. And um, like you said, it's, it's all about, um, you know, finding tools and, and learning what works for each person. Um, for me, I had to do a, take a multifaceted approach because I, I dealt with, um, emotional eating and eating disordered, um, type of stuff, um, for a good portion of my life. And, um, so for, for me, I had to, you know, I, I have a health coach. So I went down that avenue of a health coach. Um, I also um, use a journal to write down my foods, um, use a Lieberlink app, um, you know, multiple ways. Um, and that's how I have managed my diabetes for this last year. And I feel really fortunate that uh, it's now manageable and my A1C is down to, you know, 5.3. Um you know, when I started, I was above nine and, um, you know, so it, um, has made a difference. I still struggle pretty much every day as far as, um, 
you know, choosing the right foods. I mean, I know what to choose. For me, it's again, it goes back to emotional eating. And I use something called stop, challenge, and choose. If I find that like, okay, I want to eat something that's not so good for me, I have to tell tell myself to stop and then think about my why, my purpose for wanting to be healthier and choose a better option. Um, And it does work most of the time, but I still feel guilt when I slip up because I'm a perfectionist, (laughs) you know? So yeah, it's, um, it's all part of the journey and not to try to be so hard on yourself and figure out what works. And I've had issues in the store as well. Um, I find um, using the online apps for shopping a more effective tool for me because if I go shopping with a clerk, either they might give, find me the wrong thing, even though I look at the, the product with my hands and ask questions and stuff. Um, sometimes for whatever reason, I still get the wrong item. And, um, and plus, you know, there's a lot of good aromas in the store. You know, you can tell the deli, the bakery, the coffee, you know, <laughs> and, you know, so I do better with, um, you know, online shopping. So I'm, I'm learning what works and I'm managing my diabetes. And I think this is an excellent presentation and thank you so much. And I'll be in on the other one as well. All right, Andy. Karen, can I just say, Karen, thank you so much for your courage and sharing your story with us. There are, um, there are four critical times for diabetes education, and that certainly is at diagnosis, um, annually, or when you're not meeting your treatment targets that you and your health coach or health provider has, um, has established, as well as... Um, I just lost it. When complicating factors, selfless health conditions, physical limitations, emotional factors, or basic living needs develop that influence our self-management. We felt that a lot during the pandemic, uh, people living with chronic disease were not getting the medical care that they needed. They were postponing that care. So getting that that diabetes education when you need it, when transitions in life and care occur. In diabetes education, is separate the medical nutrition therapy with a dietitian. So checking in with your insurance to see what is covered under your plan and utilizing those tools that are available to you. How, on how often I would encourage you to keep asking the questions, Karen, keep, um, keep, you brought up a good point about how the, the sights and sounds and smells at a grocery store influence our choices too. You never want to go up to a grocery store hungry, do we? But how often do we do that? Okay. Um, All right, Andy. I, I have one more thing to add real quick. And that is if you're going to use online services for shopping, which I do, it is extremely important to make certain that you provide a list of alternatives to your initial choice if they can't find that choice. Otherwise, you may well get something that you wish you hadn't. And not only would the choice then be inappropriate, but sometimes it can even be costly. So I would just advise people that are going to do online shopping when it asks you, well, if we can't find this item, what item would you like us to then to choose make sure you fill that out and if they don't have any options that are appropriate then just say nothing 
Excellent point, Randy. Thank you. Andy. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. I, think so. I, I, I was diagnosed type 1 diabetic January 27th, 1959, um, 62, and a half year, 62 and a half years ago. I've, I've changed my diet a lot. Um, over the years, I'm a, I'm a vegan. I don't eat bread at all because I don't eat any wheat, any rice, any potatoes. I avoid corn and peas as often as possible. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> I find nothing wrong with eating beans and vegetables and nuts and fruit. Um, I'm, I'm on a I'm on an insulin pump. I use ins the <clears throat> And so that corporation Omnipod, and I was on Dexcom, but now I'm on LibraLink. And so uh, <clears throat> I just recently had an incident that uh, they made me go from Humalog to, to <clears throat> Novalog, and all of a sudden I ended up in ketoacidosis. I haven't been in ketoacidosis in over 40 years. Oh, my. <clears throat> and so... During my ketoacidosis, I ended up having a heart attack on the 4th of July because of the stress of the, the ketoacidosis. It, it messed up my kidneys, uh, my potassium levels, and all kinds of things. And so I immediately made them change my made them change my insulin back to Humalog, and and now my blood sugars are back to normal. Um, <clears throat> I, I may be one of one of a few, but I don't I don't change my diet at holidays or birthdays or anything. I don't ever change my diet. Um, when I go to people's houses, people invite me to eat. I say, "Can I bring my own food?" I will not eat at a potluck. So I may be an exception to the rule, but I find no reason to to snack when I don't need to. Anyway. Thanks. I just thought I would throw that out there. Mm. I'm 70 years old and still still working out on a daily basis. Andy, that is quite a story. Um, certainly a plant-based diet can be brought into any meal plan. Um, I was reading something that came across what we will be eating tomorrow, and it's talking about insects, algae, and seaweed. Um, burgers and genetic engineered foods. So I wonder what that will do to our blood sugars. But it sounds like, Andy, you've really worked on what has um, helped you, provided you with the best outcomes. And then when, you're, when your medical treatment changes um, and ketoacidosis, I am so sorry that it, that happened. And uh, speaking to that advocacy of where do we have to um, find our voice that your body needs this and it will, and I'm glad you got the results that you needed too late. Hey, we, <clears throat> excuse me. We have 10 minutes left and Kim, go ahead. Hi, I am a new diabetic. I'm kind of hoping you'd be a little more specific about food. So I'll ask a specific question. Um, I have, for certain reasons, I cannot, um, what am I trying to say? I can't chew and swallow certain textures like meat. 
okay? Um, if I gave up bread and potatoes, I'd probably have to give up meat too because that's what helps me swallow them. And so I know there's no way I'm going to give up potatoes, but I will do smaller portions. But what should I ask mom and dad to look for? They're doing the shopping around here. What should I ask them to look for in bread as far as grams, you know, that kind of thing? What do we need to be careful of? Kim, you're asking great questions. Um, I would first encourage you to seek out medical nutrition therapy with a registered dietitian. That is a covered benefit. Generally speaking, when we're looking at bread choices, we're looking for fiber content and grams of carbs. One serving would be 15 grams of carbs. You can find bread that's fewer than 15 grams of carbs, but we understand that fiber content does not um, higher fiber content, lower blood glucose rise. Bread items, you want higher fi- fiber choices um, and 15 grams or fewer carbohydrates. That's kind of the generic um, generic statement. And Jeff, Randy, anyone may have more um, choices more options for that, but certainly speaking with a registered dietitian or diabetes educator for your personalized food goals would be very valuable, I think. I wanted okay. to mention something about the uh, about about meat and uh, protein. Um, I think protein is is probably one of the at least for me uh, anyway. Protein has been a, a major tool in my tool belt of managing my diabetes. I find that that if I if I make sure that I have a good amount of protein in my diet, um, this, you have to be careful here with this because uh, uh, it may impact your kidney function here too. But but um, figuring out how to 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 make sure you're getting enough protein, and if you're if you have issue with textures of meat. For example, you might want to look at some protein drinks or protein supplements that might be able to help you with that. It might be an option that you might want to consider. Right. Jeanette? My question is for Jeff, um, because you and I think a lot alike in terms of, you know, if you're going to go off, you're going to go off, and then you're going to get back on. I have gotten to the point where I'm doing well with my food and I've been exercising and doing a great job, but I'm bored with absolutely every form of exercise I've looked at in the past year. When you're really off your game and you decide you're going to exercise, besides walking, what do you gravitate toward? Well, I I find that I continue. I'm pretty much a a creature of, of habit and pattern. Um, but I also need variation in, in trying to mix it up in some way, shape, or form. So what I tend to do is I try to make sure that I either bring things with me um, that entertain me. So I'm a big book reader or podcast listener or an, an audio um, drama type uh, uh, fan. So I try to bring things that excite me and I try to limit myself 
to doing those things at the time that I'm doing other activities like exercise. So if I'm running on an elliptical or running on a treadmill or rowing or walking for three to five miles, whatever the case may be, right? I want to make sure that I have an activity that I thoroughly enjoy so that I'm not thinking about, you know, gosh, it's 90 degrees out here and I'm sweating like a, you know, crazy guy and it's hot and I want to go home and get a nice cold glass of water and sit down and sit in front of a fan and enjoy the rest of my evening. I'm more thinking about, wow, this is a cool book or wow, this is a cool story or wow, this is an interesting, you know, podcast that I'm listening to. I find that, that that's what I tend to do because you run out of types of exercise that you can do, you know, um, at least that, that, that you like, you know, uh, Mm. That's that would be my advice. Um, Jeff, I'll add that uh, for those of you that have uh, dog guides, sing eye dogs, they always love to go for walks. And walking your dogs on a regular basis does a number of things: keeps their work skills up, uh, allows them to burn some energy, and as one of my trainers once said, a tired dog is always a good dog. So. What you want to do, I think, is um, I don't have an issue for myself, at least, walking three or four days a week at a pace that is sustained and for a while. So I I walk an elongated block, which is about a mile and a quarter, but I do it probably around four miles an hour, and we we don't stop. I mean, when we hit the corner, it's an immediate left and let's rock. And he's done the route enough with me that he knows the routine. The only issue I have with him at times is that if he sees a dog across the street, we have to discuss the idea that, no, he's not going there. And, yes, he's going to go the way I want him to go. But other than that, uh, that's one of the things that I would suggest. Now, you, you may not have a dog necessarily, but if you could find a route that you're comfortable with where you can you can get a speed that you can consistently sustain, I, I think that might be something that's useful and helpful. Yeah. And try to mix up your exercise too. Like if you like swimming and walking and running and using a treadmill, maybe you swim Tuesdays and Thursdays and you run on your treadmill Monday and Wednesdays. And then on Fridays, you take a day off. And then on Saturday, you go for a walk, you know, something like that. Mix it up a little bit. And I'll just add one more quick thing to that. I liked all those ideas, especially pairing that's something that you're bored with, with something that you're excited about. So it might be listening to a podcast, might be calling that friend when you're walking and you, you're only going to call that, that friend or make that phone call or listen to that story when you're doing this activity that you're bored. So it's pairing those activities. Great, great, great. great. All right. One more quick one and that's it. <laughs> Kamakawa. <laughs> We have lots to talk. Yes. About. And thank you. Actually got it right. <laughs> um, my question was for Karen, actually. I am I actually have kidney disease and diabetes. And I also was listening to a book about bone broth. So I was wondering how that would work. I don't think Karen is here. Karen, uh, yeah, she's not on the panel. I don't know if anyone else um, can oh. speak to this medically or not. Well, it was actually for the um, dietitianer. But, oh, 
Thank you for the question. So yes, with chronic kidney, kidney disease and diabetes, there's certain medical parameters you would want to look at for kidney function. So the concerns would be, um, I think we talked about some protein um, guidelines, sodium guidelines, and without knowing your medical history, I can't speak to that individually. Bone broth may be higher in sodium. Okay. Um, you might need to look at that. But also there again, look, looking at a medical nutrition therapy appointment with a registered dietitian that can review your whole health history and look at your blood work to give you some personalized recommendations. Yeah, and a nephrologist. Okay, we only have about two minutes left. uh, Yeah, I want to thank our our panelists today for a fine presentation. Um, I learned from all of these presentations, and it's kind of interesting. To me, it's sort of like when I go back for another dog, I think I've learned everything. And then I have a trainer who's more than willing to point out that there's things I still need to learn. So (laughs) this always occurs um, in in sessions like this, and we're going to always be better than the way we are. And both of you have made this a a good day for me, and I hope it's a good day for everybody else. A couple of things, just again, as a reminder, um, if you have questions that we didn't address today, but you want to, ask them, or you just want to find a little bit more about ACBDA, you can send an email to acbdaorg at gmail.com. Thank you.